Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do run to you each and every day for the needs of life, for direction, for peace, for guidance, for wisdom. Lord, today we invite you to speak to each one of us individually, whether to those here in this room or those watching online, that you would penetrate our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us fresh understanding Give us clarity about what you are doing in our lives and in the world around us. Lord, that we might honor you in these last days. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you know that for quite a number of weeks, I have been talking about the need for the church to repent that it is of utmost importance that during this season, when I believe God is speaking to the entire world, that the church should humble itself. And in talking about the church, I'm talking about all of us collectively together, but each of us individually. And every principle that I've been talking about during this time that applies to what I call the true church applies to each one of us individually. And so this list that here of the characteristics of true church is what we've been going through, our love for God, fearing him, walking in holiness, aspiring to truth. And then where we've been over the last few weeks was that the true church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not a work of the flesh, not a work of man, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, truly doing his will. And then we've been talking about the true church is fervent in prayer. And of course, Over the last two or three years, I've been trying to get us to have a broader, let us say more complete definition of prayer, because if your definition of prayer is some legalistic religious obligation that you must do to please God, to get him to do things on your behalf, then it's a mistaken perspective, and it really impedes you doing what he would call you to do in this area that prayer is something of greater significance. So we explored that last week in the idea of kingdom prayer because I've used the term several times during this series about advancing the kingdom of God, that I believe the church, at least in this country, has largely been in retreat for a number of decades. We have not been advancing the kingdom. We've been pulling back. The church needs to draw a line in the sand, so to speak, stand our ground and begin to advance the kingdom against the darkness that is all around us. And in talking about advancing the kingdom, we went to a variety of scriptures, among which was this one where Nicodemus, the Pharisee, came to Jesus at night to talk with him. And Jesus sort of cut directly to the point. He went around everything that Nicodemus was saying, and he said, I tell you the truth, that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And that is, you must accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You must do so humbly. Allow him to come into your life to transform you in order that you would be born again. 
Of course, Nicodemus asked, can a person be born a second time? And Jesus said, you must be born of both the water and of spirit, that you're reborn by a work of the spirit of God, and that gives you entrance into the kingdom of God. Once you are reborn, then you have this position of being eternally connected in the kingdom of God and that you are always with him, always being used to his glory. Then likewise, in talking about the kingdom, we said that, look, the kingdom is not something that can be observed physically so clearly in the world because the kingdom of God is within you. He comes to dwell within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are the representative of the kingdom henceforth. And then additionally, we said that the kingdom is something that we recognize through the Holy Spirit. It's joy, it's peace, it's righteousness. It's not of the physical world, it's of the spiritual world. And then lastly, we said, look, the kingdom is something that is brought to bear in this world. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I said last week, our primary prayer should be that the kingdom of God would come in me and that his will would be done in me so that I would be honoring him and glorifying him henceforth in all that I do. And so in talking about this, we said, look, that prayer is something that is advancing the kingdom of God. It's what we do continuously, that we should be praying without ceasing. This is why I've said that if your definition of praying is too narrow, then you cannot truly understand what's going on in terms of what God is doing. It's not a religious endeavor. It's something you do 24-7. In fact, I believe your heart attitude is what determines when you are praying. And you can have a heart attitude of prayer while you are asleep. In fact, look at the scripture, how many times God spoke to people through dreams that this is a form of connection and communication with God. This is hearing from him. It is a part of prayer. I've mentioned, I think, before here that sometimes I'll be preparing a teaching and I'll spend hours trying to get it together and it's just not becoming clear. Sometimes it takes minutes and it's crystal clear. And I don't know why sometimes it's a lengthy thing and sometimes it's not, but sometimes it's a real struggle. I'll get to the point where I'm so sleepy I cannot stay awake. I'll lay down and take a short nap and I'll wake up and it's like it happens over and over. I'll wake up and immediately I know what I'm supposed to speak. It's like the Lord had to rest my spirit and soul in order to speak to my mind. And so you can't have a heart attitude of praying continuously. Louis, shut that, please, when you come in. Thank you. A little distraction there. But you see, you can have a heart attitude of praying 24-7. So this is why I think a proper definition of prayer is this. It's communication with God in any form, anywhere, any time. And it is intended to be an opportunity, not a burden, not a task. It's a place of fellowship and joy, and it matters eternally. And see, when your definition of prayer is in that vein, you understand that praying without ceasing is quite plausible and possible. It's what I do all of the time. Sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's worshiping. Sometimes it's asking things of God. Sometimes it's interceding for other people. But it comes in all different forms as I'm talking with him 
each and every day in every context, every situation, every need that I bring before him. And so the last thing we talked about last week was this scripture in Revelation where it's talking about Jesus sitting on the throne and he's about to open the seals that are the final judgments upon this sinful world. And it says that there before him are the living creatures and the 24 elders and they're worshiping him and that each one of them had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That no prayer is insignificant that every prayer is an aroma unto God, worshiping him, honoring him. And I don't believe that God is concerned about the magnitude or the volume of your prayer. Of course, the scripture says we're not to stand on the street corner and pray to impress people. But God wants us to bring everything before him, the smallest of things, the largest of things, that he wants us to really depend upon him, trust him, And so when the scripture says here that the prayers are like an incense to him at his throne, I believe it's very indicative of the fact that you praying is something that God enjoys, that he likes, he wants you to do. I don't believe there is ever a time when God is burdened by your prayer or he doesn't have time for you or something of that nature. How he deals with billions of people simultaneously, I do not know. I couldn't, when I had three little kids, I couldn't listen to all three at the same time. But this is his nature as God. He can hear everyone and intimately be concerned with you. Now, I want to continue talking about prayer this week and next week as well. And you can see that the title this week is Warfare Prayer. Because I think too much of the church has been in a position of not understanding the need to stand and to stand in prayer against the darkness around us. Now, there are a lot of people who know that and who have over the centuries done so, but I think too much of the church has been anemic in this area. And so in talking about prayer, I want to go back to the Lord's Prayer Because, of course, it starts out by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But eventually it comes to the place of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I think some translations of that portion about lead us not into temptation do mislead people a little bit. Because the scripture says elsewhere that God himself cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So it's not a matter of God leading into temptation, but I think a better understanding is lead us not to the place where I'm tempted beyond what I can bear, but deliver me from evil. Let me not be tempted beyond what I can bear, but deliver me. And so it is true that you and I face a spiritual battle. Every human being faces a spiritual war. And that battle we do not often realize is designed by Satan and his minions to destroy your life. I mean, really, you are in a spiritual battle where Satan's desire is to take your life, to destroy your life. And look around at the world. How many lives are being destroyed? I mean, just think about it. How many lives are being destroyed by the work of darkness? through addiction and all the different evils that are poured out in our modern world that destroy and undermine human life. So it is true that you and I live in a time of evil. 
The scripture says in here in Ephesians that we are to be careful in, in how we live, not as unwise, but wise. In fact, if somebody were to examine your life, would they categorize how you live as a person who exercises wisdom often, or do you live foolishly? See, the unwise person is living foolishly. There is a lot of foolishness in the world in which we live. And it says that we are to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And if the Apostle Paul could write that to the people of, of Ephesus at that time period, certainly the level and magnitude of evil has increased exponentially since that time. I mean, technology is wonderful in, in that it allows the ability to communicate the gospel around the world or for us to connect with people around the world. There's so many wonderful things about it that God is using, but the spirits of evil are using technology to undermine lives. One of the things that I've done a lot, really too much in recent years, is counsel a lot of men, particularly young men, who have a problem with pornography. And when I'm talking to the young men, I explain to them that when I was their age, that pornography was relatively unavailable. Very limited, very restricted, not readily available. Now it's on your smartphone. You carry it in your back pocket. And unless you are wise, you're going to be tempted and buy something that will undermine and destroy your life. The days are evil and the magnitude of evil and temptation is increasing, making it extremely difficult to live a godly life today. However, the Spirit of God is pouring out for the very purpose of raising up people who will stand firm and live a godly life standing against the darkness. And so that's why I want to talk about this idea of spiritual prayer that is warfare prayer. The scripture says this in Ephesians, it says, put on the full armor of God. And of course, most of you've heard many teachings about the armor of God. I'm not going to spend time on all of those things like the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith and so forth. But it says there to take stand, a stand against the devil's schemes for your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, or as this version says, rulers and authorities against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world and against such in the heavenly realm. That you and I live in a world that is completely engaged in war all of the time. It is a spiritual war. It will undermine your life if you are naive to it. And if you do not understand what it is and how to discern it and how to fight it, it will bring you to a place of destruction sometimes. And in this list of putting on the full armor of God, at the end, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That one of the primary things, perhaps utmost things that you and I do in the spiritual battle is praying in the spirit of God. Now, there's a little confusion or sometimes disagreement over that statement because there's some people more from the charismatic realm who will immediately say, well, praying in the spirit, as stated here, means praying in tongues all of the time. And as we've said, I believe that the gifts of the spirit are real for today, that the gift of tongues is for today. There are a lot of people in this church who've had that experience as part of their life. But I've also emphasized that the scripture says that the gifts are given according to how the spirit wills. And it, as we talked over the last two weeks, it's, there's a portion that says, are all apostles, are all prophets, do all speak in tongues? They're rhetorical questions indicating that clearly not everybody does. 
And so if this statement is praying in tongues only, then only a certain portion of the people could fulfill it, which wouldn't be true. Every person filled with the Holy Spirit can pray in the Spirit. Now, can that be praying in tongues? Absolutely. You know, I mentioned the, the study that came out of the University of Pennsylvania that indicated that people who pray with their normal language, that part of their brain is very active, but when they're praying in tongues, that part of the brain is not active, that they truly are praying with their spirit. And so there is a place for that. This is why I encourage every person to ask for that gift. And if the Lord wants to give it to you, fine. If he doesn't choose to give it to you, that is also fine. But we need people praying in the spirit all of the time. And that's part of praying. But then also, there is a way to pray in the spirit when I am not praying in a tongue. Because think about it this way. If it is possible to pray in the spirit, then by definition, it is possible to pray in the flesh. To pray in the flesh is to ask something that is simply my human desire that is not the will of God. Because the scripture does indicate that ask anything and it will be done for you. However, it also has the caveat of praying anything according to his will. And so if I am praying according to the will of God, it will be done. If I am praying according to the will of God, I must discern the will of God by the Holy Spirit. To pray in the Spirit is to pray in union with what the Spirit desires. In fact, sometimes people will ask me to pray for them about some issue. They'll explain the issue and, and they'll give me direction how to pray. In other words, pray for this outcome in my situation. Well, to be honest, many times I have not done that. Because I have not necessarily believed that the outcome that they desired was truly a good outcome that God would desire for them you see it is better to say Lord what is your will what is your desire in fact I remember years ago I met this guy he was a, a young priest and um, he said it's a good thing that God has not answered all of my prayers and then I was sort of like curious as to why he said because if he had I would have been married to 21 women and his point was that he'd met some woman. He's like, oh, Lord, this is the one. And he started praying for her that she'd be his wife. And that didn't work out. And that didn't work out. And this didn't work out. So 20 of his 21 prayers, he was married at the time, were what? Prayers in the flesh, not in the spirit. You see, it is possible to be praying and asking for something that is not God's will. And we must be humble enough to seek him, to ask, Lord, what is it that you desire? What is your will? How do I pray? In fact, I, I knew probably three months before my father died that he wasn't going to live. I knew it deep in my soul. Yet at that time, his prognosis was good. And every prayer that I had was what I would call a clinging, desperate prayer. I did not want him to die. And I would say largely, particularly toward the end, I was praying in the flesh and not in the spirit. Praying for what I wanted, not what was the will of God in that circumstance. And you see, praying in the flesh is praying for your desire, 
not the will of God. And all of us need to be humble enough to stop and ask, Lord, what is your will? What is your desire? And how do I pray? Look, I encounter a lot of things that I don't know how to pray. That's why I believe the gift of tongues is so important is because it enables you to pray about things you cannot understand, that you cannot see. And this is why God has given. A lot of people are confused. Why would God give such a gift? For that very reason, because we're in a spiritual battle that none of us really understands, and it's impossible for us to do so. And he gives the gifts to engage us in fighting the spiritual war. Now, having said that, I believe to fight the spiritual war, you need to recognize the enemy that you are up against. This scripture in 2 Corinthians says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, that he impersonates God or he impersonates Jesus. He tries to look good, act good, attract the following, make people believe that following him would be the right way to go. But his ultimate purpose is to bring destruction. And it says, therefore, it's not surprising that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Now, that could be the fallen angels that are his servants, or it could be humans who are under his power who are his servants. See, if you think about it, Adolf Hitler was a perfect example of someone masquerading as a savior, an angel of light, whose total goal was destruction. Because he was extremely popular in the early 30s in, in, in the nation of Germany because he rebuilt the economy, rebuilt the military, stopped paying war reparations to the English and the French, and he was extremely popular. The people applauded what he was doing. They threw off caution and really threw off a lot of freedoms and submitted to fascism because they thought it was good, but it was a lie. And what it resulted in was death on a mass scale first for the countries around them, for the Jews, and then ultimately for the Germans themselves. And it was Satan masquerading as an angel of light, eventually doing his work to destroy on a large scale. And this is how he works. But a lot of people find it popular, will fall for the masquerade, And if you are a Christian, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment, the gift of discernment, so that you could see that which is true from that which is false, that you would recognize a false teacher. Because in sometimes this is within the church. Sometimes there are those masquerading as angels of light within the church that are false teachers. Paul often talked about this. And you must have discernment. Every Christian must have discernment about any teaching, any teacher, any leader to know what is true and what is false, particularly in an age where the world is trying to say that there is no truth, which is a direct attack upon Christ, that the Christian must be one who can discern truth amidst all of the falsehood. In fact, the scripture says this about Satan, 
that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. This is why he is the attack behind truth. You can be absolutely certain that the, that the work in society in which we live that is trying to disband the idea of truth, say that there is no truth, is an attack of Satan upon the person of Christ. It is a spiritual battle. For Satan himself is a liar. He speaks his native language when he lies. He is the father of lies. In the world in which you and I live, if you are a discerning Christian, you must always be looking for where is the lie. I mean, honestly, I believe I could sit down right now and think about many, many, many facets of society and list a long list of lies. Ideas that are being perpetrated upon people, particularly on whom? On young people. See, this is why I've said it's such a hard and difficult thing to be a young person today. And it's one of the reasons I've strongly encouraged those of you who have some years under your belt that you would find young people and invest in their lives. You know, one wise person investing in the life of one young person can make an eternal difference. But it is a very hard thing to be a young person today because there's so much deception, so many lies all around us, and you must be able to sort out what they are. In fact, I was looking at some statistics about um, questions asked of college students, and over 50% of college students today, this was of, in an Ivy League school, believe that socialism was a preferable society in which we, to live, and something like, I think it was 15% believe communism was a preferable society. Now, that's because they've been fed the false idea or a lie that if you just had the right people in charge, things would be okay. That if you just put the right people in charge and they ran the commune, the collective for everybody else, you wouldn't have the inequities of society. And well, what they don't understand is first, they haven't learned from history that where that has been done, it was always atheistic, destructive, caused a huge loss of life. And instead of everybody prospering, everybody failed. And you see, they have believed a lie. The fundamental lie of that is that humans are basically good and altruistic. The, the real truth is that humans are basically sinful and self-centered. And you just put a different group of self-centered people in control, they will manifest power in a different way. But young people are believing the lie. And you see, in our society, in fact, several things have happened in the last few months. I've had to back up and really spend a long time thinking and praying about what is the lie here? Because it wasn't so obvious. There are plenty of masqueraders today. And in the world in which we live, you must be able to discern what is the truth and what is the lie. There are many. Likewise, the scripture says that the God of this age, who is Satan, the prince of the power of the air, who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And this is so true that if you do not know Christ, your mind is blinded. That there is a light of the gospel. It is Christ himself who is the very representation, the image of God, that you cannot see it because you're blinded by the darkness. And see, this is why if you're going to be praying for someone who is an unbeliever, 
you must begin to discern how to pray against what has them blinded. See, if someone does not know Christ, there is something that is blinding them. And the Lord can reveal to you what it is. In fact, I'll put it this way. You find somebody who is involved in sexual sin and you will find that it blinds perhaps more than any other sin because it hardens the heart. People become very defensive and they are very blind to the truth. I've seen people be in such a season, come out of it, and it was like they were a totally different person when they came out of it that they then could see the darkness of their own actions. So some of the people around you who are unbelievers, it's because of that, and you need to pray that they would be set free from the blindness associated with it. But there are lots of other reasons. Some people are blinded by power, that they lack the power and authority that they think they have. Humans think they have power when, in fact, you have none. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, who, who was very powerful in the world as a, as a king, as a military leader. Yet how long did his power last? As long as God allowed it and God brought him down to being like an animal at one point, he could immediately take his power from him. And you see, people are blinded by different things, but the church should not be blind. Here's one of the giant problems. You've heard me say over the last several years many times that I believe the church in the United States is immature. And we are immature because we have sought after this world, sought after material things and things of the flesh and, and sinful indulgences of this world. And so if you are immature, you cannot discern the spiritual battle. A five-year-old child cannot understand so many things of this world. It's just impossible. As a little child, the world seems more simple, and it, it ought to be more pure and more joyful. And, but then as you mature, you begin to see the world differently. You recognize there is a lot of darkness, a lot of evil. And the place where you begin to really find wisdom is when you realize that a lot of that darkness and evil is in your own heart. Humility really is a place of beginning, the beginning of wisdom so that you can understand the darkness of your own heart. And you see, the church has been so much focused on selfish desires that we've been like a little child we've not been fighting the spiritual battle we've been in retreat because we've been immature we're not battle hardened so to speak willing to stand in the fight we want to run well you could be a lukewarm christian and get by with it in this country for several decades but i believe that day is over completely over the scripture also says this about your enemy in this case paul was writing to the people at thessalonica and he said he'd been concerned about them and he was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted them and they might have fallen prey to it that another title for satan is the tempter and you see it's not god who tempts people that Jesus was led into the, holy, into the wilderness to be tempted 
But it wasn't God who was tempting him. It was Satan who was tempting him. And temptation is brought all around every person all of the time. The spiritual forces of evil know how to work it. In fact, they've been working it successfully since long before you were born. They are good at what they do. And they know how to tempt each individual. There's some things that tempt some that do not tempt others and vice versa. And you see, they will tempt, I believe, in one of two primary methods. The first and foremost method method is to tempt people into sinful behavior, immoral behavior, to lie and steal and commit adultery and whatever it is, all the temptations associated with that. And like pornography today is the first temptation luring people into sexual sin. And you see, they are always tempting. And if we're honest, Everybody in this room probably has to admit, yeah, I was tempted and fell prey to it. And you see, they're always trying to bring destruction by that. But if they cannot tempt you into sin of that overt, direct category, they will tempt you in another way. In other words, if you're a person who is aspiring to holiness and you're not generally falling into the trap of temptation all of the time and you think you're walking a pretty, pretty godly life, the temptation that will come your way will be the temptation not to do God's will in circumstances that he sets before you. It's not a temptation to go into direct immorality or direct sin. It's a temptation to quit, to give up, not to do what God is calling you to do. And the spirits of evil tempt in this way very often, very successfully. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, that God sets things before you and you just sort of think, no, I don't want to do that. It's too risky. Or it takes too much energy. Or I've done my part, it's time for somebody else. As long as you are alive, God has a calling upon your life. I mentioned my dear sweet friend, Mary Gordon, who's like a third grandmother to my children for years, and she passed some years ago. But, but in her latter years, she had Parkinson's. She couldn't, she couldn't hardly keep her balance. She fell a lot, but her mind was still clear. The Lord gave her the grace that her mind was clear right up until she died. And even though she had to live in assisted living and physically she was in decline, she was fighting the battle. That lady was a spiritual warrior. She was a prayer warrior constantly, all of the time, praying for people. In fact, it concerned me when she died, like, who's going to take her place praying for me? Because I knew she prayed for me often. But you see, she knew that as long as she had breath, God had a commission for her. I was thinking about her just a day or so ago and thinking, boy, she must be really enjoying heaven right now. Because she loved the Lord so deeply and honored him so well throughout her entire life. Just displayed the love of the Lord just fervently everything in everything that she did. And you see, she wasn't giving up even though her body was giving up. Do you understand this temptation to quit is a real thing? then in a lot of areas of life, you'll be tempted to give up. Maybe give up on a marriage or give up on some other relationship or, or give up on your own child that you feel like they're too wayward or something of that nature. There's never a point when God says give up. He does say surrender, but to surrender to whom? To him. 
If you're going to give up, give up to him, relinquish to him, but not in the spiritual battle that is before you. Do you realize that in the many years that I've been in this church now, that the one primary temptation that has often been before me was to quit? More than any other temptation. You know, there's just those days, you've had those days where you think, why am I doing this? It's too hard. It's too stressful. I lose too much sleep. I am done. Which is what? Selfish self-pity. Let's just be honest. That's what it is. From which you need to repent. I need to repent. That God calls us not to fall prey to any type of temptation whether the temptation to immorality or really the temptation to disobedience. Then lastly, the scripture says in James that each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. There is something in the sin nature of human beings that causes this. This is what society does not understand. That in the society in which we live today, the primary scream from many people is that it is your fault Whoever's in power, whoever has authority, you are the cause. What we need to understand is that the cause is right in my heart, that every single one of us is enticed by our own sinful desires. They look different, they come out in different ways, but it's still a part of my fallen sinful nature. That we are dragged away and that when this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. That's the, the work of Satan and all of the demonic forces is to destroy life and to bring death. And wherever you have fallen prey to sin in some form or another, it brought a small measure of death into your life in that moment, did it not? And sadly, I've done funerals for people, young people, where, you, where clearly this demonic spirits were at work in their lives and brought death literally at their doorstep. And you and I need to recognize how serious the battle is. It is not a game. And the church needs to arise. See, this is why I've been saying this over and over and over during this season. It is a call of God by the Holy Spirit upon people who say that they seek him to stop seeking after the world, to repent of our selfish desires, to recognize who he really is, to begin to stand in the kingdom, be the true church, walking in humility, used to his glory. For really, the church, at least in this country, has done a very poor job now for several decades of handing the truth off to the next generation. We've done a very poor job. And you see, it's because an immature church has a hard time giving maturity to the next generation. It's a time for the church to repent. That we might fight the battle. And even though the message that I've been giving now for months is one of repentance and it's stern, there is still hope. See, I, I think 
this is the message of God likewise at this time, that hope is in him and in him alone. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And I do believe that his desire is that the church would come before him and that revival would happen, that many would be called him. I do believe there is a harvest going on in the world. There are many people seeking him. This is why it is urgent that every single one of us in our own lives be people who are presenting the gospel. In fact, I, I had someone come to me last night after the service, and this is a person who has met a neighbor, is very concerned about the neighbor, has gotten to know them over the years, and is concerned about their salvation and has tried to talk to them about where they are. The neighbor is later in life. And this individual came to me and said, I've tried. And they just shut me down. And, I, and they were asking, what do I do now? And almost like, do I just give up? And I'm like, no. You've got to allow the Spirit of the Lord to give you a better understanding that you just, you can say to them how much you care about their life. It is not a time to be shy and to give up and to be cowardice in fear. It is a time to be bold in the power of Christ. Not obnoxiously, but in love. Now, I ask you, as a church body and as individuals, would you make it your purpose, your commitment to be one who is fervent in prayer. Would you ask God to fill with you with the Holy Spirit afresh for the purpose of interceding against the darkness in this world? In fact, what I'm going to talk about next week is what I began to talk about in April, the spirits of darkness, demonic spirits that have authority in this nation. If you'll recall some of you, this is when we were online only when I was speaking and I talked about that Baal and Molech and Ashtoreth, that those are the primary demonic spirits, just like in Old Testament days, that have authority in this nation and that you and I need to be praying against them, pushing back the darkness. That's what I intend to talk about next week. I'm a little concerned about what this week is going to be like leading up to that. So I'd ask that you would pray for me in preparing for that. But, but we need to recognize what is the darkness around us and what is the battle? Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not with a person. Whether you're talking about a conflict on a global scale, a national scale, or personally, your battle is not with an individual. It is with a spirit of darkness. And we need to know how to fight the battle, what we're against, and stand in truth against it. But would you make it your goal that God would make you a warrior, a prayer warrior in this battle? Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would pour out the gift of discernment upon people here to be able to discern the work of the spirits of evil. I ask that you would pour out any and every gift needed for us to stand in the fight. That we would be intercessors for individuals, for our country, 
for the world, for the body of Christ, for those who are facing extreme persecution. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would pour out through us to affect the world, that the spirits of darkness would themselves be in confusion and be bound and be stumbling upon one another, that your Holy Spirit would be pouring out, the spirit of truth being poured out, that people would come to you, that there would be a harvest of souls around the world, that you would give strength to those who are persecuted in different parts of the world, that your church would repent and arise. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 